0: In 1725, in the city of Amsterdam, the firm of Michel Charles Le Seine published a set of 12 concertos for violin, strings and continuo by the great Venetian virtuoso and composer Antonio Vivaldi. The collection bore the impressive but also somewhat intriguing title Il Cimento dell'Armonia e Invenzione, The Contest Between Harmony and Invention. The first four concertos of the set were each dedicated to a particular season and have become an entity in their own right. We now know them as the Four Seasons, a division from the whole which Vivaldi could not have foreseen. This set of concertos quickly became popular, especially in France, where La Primavera, Spring, was a favourite of King Louis XV. But after Vivaldi's death, they pretty much disappeared from view, so that by the beginning of the 20th century, they were known only to a few musicologists. But a 1948 recording by Louis Kaufman started a kind of bushfire, and by the 1990s, The Four Seasons was one of the most recorded works of all time. At last count, collectors could choose from a daunting field of more than 400 versions, and counting. One of the remarkable features of Vivaldi's score is the very detailed program attached to each concerto. Each has an introductory sonnet, probably by Vivaldi himself, and visual details are spelled out very explicitly in the score. You can see a comprehensive list of these and where they occur in the performance in the corresponding PDF for this podcast. With a work as popular as The Four Seasons, it's hard to find anything original to say, but Harry Ward somehow managed to freshen them up in his performance for Annan. So this week we talked to violinist Harry Ward, and in this case, violinist and director Harry Ward, in relation to his performance of Vivaldi's Four Seasons. Hi Harry.
1: G'day, Phil. How
0: are you going? I'm doing all right, thanks. It's good to see you. Thank you. You too. It is so good to see you. And the four seasons, Harry, these... Four concertos, much loved, overloved in a way, have been played to death. They were neglected for a couple of centuries Mm. and then sort of after the Second World War, they became the favourite of recording companies in particular because they were such good sellers. They've been subjected to every humiliation and every indignity you can think of, Mm. from TV commercials to hotel lobbies. What drew you to these pieces? Because they have been so exposed.
1: No matter how much they're played, there's uh, they still got something really, really special. There's a reason why they played so much. I mean, I grew up with the Nigel Kennedy recording. That was kind of um, uh, my way into classical music. In, in some sense, they've always sort of held a special place in my heart. And um, I thought being at Annan this was the perfect opportunity to give it a red-hot go with all of the uh, wonderful musicians we, uh, we have around us there.
0: How do you rate them in terms of virtuosity? And I'm talking about the solo part, of course.
1: Yeah, I reckon they're bloody hard. Um, Yeah, (laughs) it's definitely uh, it's a feat to be able to play all four, one after the other, and I I was pretty buggered by the end of that gig. That's for sure.
0: Now, Harry, these four concertos were published as part of a collection which Vivaldi titled The Contest Between Harmony and Invention. Mm. Now, at first when I found this, I thought, oh, yes, another typical flowery baroque title. But in fact, it's quite an intriguing title. Do you have any idea what he might have meant about this contest between harmony and invention?
1: The music is kind of inventive in its own way and at the, and for its time as well. It was a very sort of early form of programmatic music and the concerto itself as a, as a format was not really a defined sort of genre at that time. And so I think it was through Vivaldi that the concerto really became uh, what it is today. And the contest side of things could really be in some of the sort of expressive techniques of the solo part, they do kind of um, juxtapose the harmonic texture of the, of the orchestral part. And there is sort of at times this kind of back and forth dialogue that um, I think, you know, one could sort of say is a, is a contest. But the Italian word cimento, I think it sort of is used in this title. I think it can be translated in multiple different ways. So it's up to interpretation. Everybody could, uh, if you've got an opinion, reach out. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, it's something to think about. Now, you talked about this being an early example of programmatic music. These concertos are full of special effects, and Vivaldi is very specific. He even labels them in the score. One of my favourite moments is the appearance of the ubriachi, the drunks. Can you tell us about the ubriachi?
1: Absolutely. I guess we sort of had to sort of really play into that with this music being incredibly imaginative. We sort of... I mean, I don't think it was too hard for us to really uh, play into that side of the music. You sort of, uh, you have to kind of let yourself go and sort of um, throw caution to the wind and, and play into the um, kind of drunken feel of, uh, of certain parts of that music. I love that he's, uh, that he's, done, he's included that in the sonnets, it's
0: great. Absolutely. I mean, you you practically did everything except bring a slab on stage and get stuck into it. But there's real humour in these concertos in those moments anyway, and I really enjoyed the way you dealt with that. Now, these concertos were published, each one with an introductory sonnet, and the sonnets were probably by Vivaldi himself. Was this always part of your plan, or, or was it just an idea that came up during rehearsal?
1: Yeah, I guess as I decided to pick them up to play them, I obviously did a bit of research on them. I had no idea that these sonnets were even a thing until I um, decided to play this for the recital. and. Um I thought it would be great, I just thought maybe I'll just include these as program notes and I thought why don't I read them out and then I thought actually it will be way better if we get one person from the orchestra to read out each each sonnet and so it ended up being this sort of, um, everybody had their own sort of way of inhabiting the world of that sonnet and uh, ended up sort of adding this element of sort of setting the scene of each movement, um, of each concerto so that's sort of, uh, I don't know, I thought it worked well, I'm surprised it's not included more often.
0: Well, I think it was a great idea because it means that everyone in the ensemble understands exactly what that concerto is about. Let's talk a little about Baroque style. Now, you play with very little vibrato, I noticed. What other aspects of Baroque style did you consider essential?
1: Well, I guess, you know, all of those things are just, they're up for interpretation, you know, and they're also down to who you play with. And, you know, that kind of non-probrado aesthetic was something that happened naturally during the process of rehearsal. And also the players that I chose to have in the orchestra, I knew they're playing well and kind of knew that as- that kind of aesthetic would work well. But yeah, I-, I guess the other sort of elements of and techniques of sort of baroque playing that we sort of tried to... Um, inhabit were just the particular awareness of harmony and the way that we reacted to that. And also just in the way that we might've used our bows as sort of slightly less sustained kind of qualities to the sound. And also in certain moments, people improvised and I tried to improvise as well. And we sort of had that sort of scattered throughout the work. And that, you know, that was a back in that day and age, you know, a performer, a composer, whatever kind of artist, they all improvised. So we sort of tried to take that on ourselves.
0: Well, I think they came to the party so Harry, we're going through trying times at the moment, musicians especially. Tell us how you're coping with it and, and how you feel about Anam in response to it all.
1: Uh, yeah, I think it, everybody's got their own sort of set of challenges at this time is uh, provided, and you know the future of the arts and the future of our careers are all sort of up in the air. But I guess if you sort of reflect on, on the last few years at ANM, we've had our fair share of challenges to face, and this pandemic is uh, is certainly right up there. And I think it's just a, a testament to this sort of unique kind of family like environment of of a place like ANM. And I think. Um, I think it's worth sort of thanking everybody for sort of being able to stick together and, and keep us going, and sort of you know goes to show that ANAM's an environment worth supporting.
0: Just to wind up, Harry, you were given a an important honour last year by Music Aviva. Tell us a bit about that and what it's meant for you.
1: Yeah, it's a it's an incredible honour. It's um it's a two year initiative. It's called the uh, Future Makers Program, and it's. Sort of will consist of a series of intensives over the two years um, with leading creatives throughout Australia and, and internationally. And so far, we've uh, we've worked with the likes of Alexis Wright, you know, the incredible Indigenous writer, Bruce Gladwin. The um, AD of Back to Back Theatre, Matthias schack uh, just to name a few. It's an amazing program of being able to align so many different aspects of of what it means to be an artist and and to be able to do that in this environment where we can try out and and sort of test out these different ideas and and get feedback. I'm really excited and and incredibly honoured.
0: So Future Makers is all about joining up high-achieving young creatives and and seeing how they fire off against each other and, and seeing what comes out.
1: Yeah, I guess so. Absolutely.
0: It's a great way to put it, Phil. Great. Well, well worthy of the award. Harry, I enjoyed your performance so much. Thanks for talking to us. Thank you, Phil. Thanks again for listening to An Am Radio. Our next podcast will feature harpsichordist Peter Diego in Manuel de Faya's Harpsichord Concerto.